For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Oh yes, the first wave of free agency is done. Big moves have been made. Charles McDonald, there have been good deals. There have been bad deals. And it's our time, our turn to make the case for which one's which. How are you doing other than the little tear that's rolling down your cheek? These are allergy tears. There's something, there's something in my apartment that is just destroying me right now. Uh, yeah, I'm not high. I'm not crying about the Falcons. I'm just being ravaged by allergies. So but, that is uh, the truth. But since Hayden Winks is no longer with us, he is on a bachelor party this weekend. Okay, he's still alive, though. He is. I, I can confirm he is still alive. For now. Um, um, but on this show today... We're going to go position by position, discuss a few big names at each spot, and then point out a under-the-radar signing that uh, we totally love, that we're into. At quarterback, though, Charles, in lieu of signings, do you mind if we do a couple minutes on Baker Mayfield? How does that sound? Sure, sure. Let's do it. All right. Um, you know, We know Baker released a statement, about 800 words. I didn't count them exactly. Basically all but saying goodbye, quoting, I have no clue what happens next. My stance in this, and it sounds harsh, Charles, at the end of the day, the former number one overall pick should have just played better. That's exactly how I feel. Like, you have the resume for us to expect a lot better things from you than what you've given us so far. Uh, two-time Heisman finalist, uh, Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall pick. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm just kind of tired of, of these antics. I hate it because it makes me feel like an old man that, you know, some curmudgeon <laughs> that just doesn't like the athletes anymore, but... Uh, there's just been so much yapping and uh, all this could be fixed by just playing better or not playing through, you know, a hurt shoulder last year to the point where you basically tank the whole season before stepping out at the last game uh, and letting them deal with the fallout from that. I mean, it's just enough. Enough is enough, Baker. Let's move you, on. You've turned into the the person that you hate, Charles. In, right. Like, but it's only with this, only with Baker Mayfield. The rest <laughs> of the time I'm like, I want all the drama. Bring it to me. Right. But today, I, I can't. I can't with yeah. that. It turns you into a Scrooge, I should say. Um, yeah. I, I think it comes down to – I think it <laughs> I think it comes out <laughs> of that the the Browns just don't believe in him. Like, it's, it's really that simple. Like, even when healthy, they could have prioritized the extension after the, the 2020 season, you know, when at least the reply guys in my mentions right now are saying, well, he had 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. You know, he led them to their first playoff win in, in decades. Well, in that moment, they didn't jump out of their seat 
to extend him like we've seen other teams do. Like we saw it with the Eagles and Carson Wentz. We saw it with the Rams and Jared Goff. And yes, you can say that, well, maybe because of how those deals fell apart, they ended up not doing that. But if you ever have a belief that like this guy is your quarterback for the long term, you sign him instantly at that point because we have seen quarterback contracts jump from, I don't know, $36 million a year to now over $50 million a year. And so like the further you push it down the can with the person that you believe in, the more money you're just going to end up paying in the coming years. Yeah. I think the interesting thing with Baker is it doesn't really seem like any of his teammates are coming out and saying, this is my guy. Like this is our quarterback seems, you know, he's putting out this statement, which he said is not cryptic. There's no hidden message in it, but it also reads like a goodbye letter at the same time. So, you know, to me, it, <laughs> He was just like, oh, look at me. Like, I, I'm still here. I'm still technically the Browns quarterback. But uh, it seems like even though they're out of the Watson sweepstakes now, they're still going right. to try to move on. But I can't imagine that the market is that high for him, you know? I also believe it's player that teams, one, will have their pre-draft evaluation on. Like, we see that all the time throughout the league. Like, if, they, if, if a general manager or head coach loved a player and then he's available, then boom, we're all in. A la Drew Locke in Seattle, maybe. Uh, I could also see Baker going to Seattle because, like, those guys love a reclamation project. They love mm-hmm. players with a story arc. That they went through adversity. And, like, Baker on that level, I think Kevin Stefanski is really good at creating an answer for the quarterback in every single scenario. And what we've seen with Baker is, like, sometimes his vision is just really bad. And then he also believes he possesses this magic like the top quarterbacks in the league do in terms of winning outside of structure, like he thinks his arm is top five in the league. He thinks his athleticism is top five in the league. And really the latter, he's like a former walk-on, you know, like he just has this innate confidence, which when things run hot and they go well, like I'm sure coaches and people in the team love that. But then when it doesn't, he's just going to screw it all up for you, you know? And with, again, going back to the point coming out of the 2020 season, it's clear that the Browns believe like they have a winning team. Like they have a winning roster in terms of like top five offensive line, a great running game. They continue to add difference making pieces at, on the defense and sure like wide receivers, people catch passes. But at the end of the day, like where Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, and I've said this from the start of the off season, where they come from with their background and just taking a step back and analyzing the roster. They know that the quarterback position is like the biggest difference maker from them between wins and losses and like it's great that he played through injury i know he wasn't 100 but even when he was he simply is not good enough for andrew barry and kevin stefanski on the field for them to move on with him even prior to this entire deshaun watson interest yeah i don't even think it's great that he played through injury uh i think that's a sticking point too i think that's a totally <laughs> because, comment. because going back to last year like as you go throughout the whole season and he is just Obviously not. He's not healthy. And, and like if you can sit here and debate, you know, whether him being healthy is good enough, obviously him in diminished, diminished version of himself is not going to be anywhere close to good enough for what the Browns were trying to accomplish last year. And just from a Baker perspective and a Browns perspective, it just kind of seemed like a waste of time because uh, Baker had his contract value, just a chainsaw taken to it by playing through those games. And then the Browns, they were perfectly set up to play without him. Like you have Case Keenum as your backup, Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt, good offensive line. Like this is a team that <laughs> has literally been constructed to not need their starting quarterback for a couple games at a time. And they just let Baker bully him, bully them all the way up until like week 17 or week 18 
when he decided to finally get surgery. It was just a lose lose situation, and I think everyone looks stupid as hell coming out of it now. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's also fair to question like. Is he consistently a top 15 quarterback? My answer would be no. But like if you're the biggest Baker supporter out there, some people might say yes. And then so tail in question to that is, is he the type of quarterback that can lift your offense in the moments like when everyone around him lets him down? And 100% objectively, the answer is no to that. He's just not that style of player. Yeah. And like Kirk Cousins to me is on like a different tier of a better quarterback. And Kirk Cousins somehow is like the laughing stock of the league. So <laughs> it's because he's Kirk. He's weird. I, I, <laughs> I feel like I, I will say, like on a performance basis, I do think Kirk Cousins is ugh, a little bit underrated. Superior. Oh yeah, it hit. It, it's like on the the Kirk Cousins, Tannehill, Jimmy G, Baker scale. Like that's kind of where you're talking. Where to me, at least, where the the supporting cast has a huge factor in how these guys are going to perform. But I think Kirk is a lot better than where Baker is right, right. now. Yeah, I, I'd rank the potential spots for Baker. Seattle, I think a Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield camp competition might be the future in my life here in a little bit. Um, Indianapolis is also still up there. And then, all right, let's jump to some other positions. We've done individual videos on the likes of Chase Edmonds and James Conner at running back. Um, so if you want to check out those, they're in the channel description down below. Um, I actually want to throw out a name for you in J.D. McKissick. And not that he's returned to Washington, because I think we're going to understand what he's you know, going to be there over the last couple of years. But actually this idea that Buffalo nearly signed him and was targeting a player like this. Because like back in 2020, J.D. McKissick had 124 slot snaps, 100 snaps out wide. The Bills were also rumored to be heavily interested in Travis Etienne coming out of the draft. So like these types of running backs are really tough to come by in terms of guys that are like quote unquote running backs can play out of the backfield. Then you can also put them in the slot or out wide, send them in motion, do all the jet stuff with them. And the bills don't have anyone like this, like a legit running back slash wide receiver hybrid. And it can be super dangerous. And it might be this added layer, Charles, that they could be trying to attack as we go through a long free agency and even the NFL draft. I thought, it, I thought McKissick would have been a really nice fit for, that offense, just because when you think about how the Bills have wanted to play over the past few years and maybe the release of Cole Beasley changes everything uh, or changes how their philosophy is going to be. But they, they've been pretty wide open, like they want to be oh, yeah. a, a 10 personnel team. And honestly, like if you're going to be a team uh, that that runs offense with they do, I think that they just need someone more explosive in the backfield than what they've had uh you know, more recently, because I, I I I tend to like Devin Singletary as a player, but I think for what Buffalo wants to be on offense, someone like J.D. McKissick might fit uh, a little bit better. And, and you can see, like you said, with the interest in Travis Etienne, clearly, you know, I, some people call them like satellite backs where, you know, these are guys who are going to be big factors in the receiving games, too. But they clearly want to find that type of player. Uh, you know, whether it's to take over more snaps in the slot from uh, Isaiah McKenzie or the, the spot where Cole Beasley has just left, or if it's really just to be more of a running back and be more of that outlet in the backfield that has the speed and explosiveness that can take advantage of some of the space that their offense naturally gives you. Because when you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis now coming on, there's a lot of space for a running back with some speed to eat up in there. I think that that's kind of what they're trying to get at when you look at their interests in guys like McKinnick and Etienne. And I think it'd be a great fit for their offense. 
Yeah, and McKissick, even with Scott Turner in Washington, was kind of being used in like a Curtis Samuel hybrid role when Curtis was missing time and even before they landed him, where, again, he'd be set in motion, he'd be exactly at a wide receiver spot, and they do all this fun stuff with him. Like, the Bills are almost thinking one step ahead where, like, we view a lot of these NFL teams as replacing talents that they just departed. Like, I kind of think the Bills need to think of, well, what do they not have yet that other teams already, like, take advantage of and and maybe they're still searching for that and i think this ultimate role player like Jaden mckissick is might might be that but then again there's not many like ty montgomery who's a step down from this just signed with the patriots like the one that pops into my brain and if it works holy cow not to break your heart here but like what if cordero patterson fulfills i was that just about to say that they should go after cordero and i mean why not like you're already all in with with this current setup of the bills you just gave von miller a freaking six-year deal yesterday so um, I, I think they should go after CPAT. Like if you were if you were going after McKissick, uh, you should definitely be trying to get CPAT on your roster too. Uh, but uh, we'll see how that works out. I know that CPAT, like he he wants to retire in Atlanta. I don't know why he would want to do something crazy like that. But if the Buffalo Bills can talk him out of that, then I think that that, that would make a lot of sense for for where they're headed. And while Josh Allen never like hit the check down, and I wouldn't say McKissick's going to play the same thing as Singletary, he started to towards the end of the th- end of the season. Like there were points when Singletary had games of eight targets, seven targets, six, five, five, and we saw him hit his back foot and fired over to to Turbo. Okay, any running backs you want to hit? Because I have one more. Uh go ahead. Okay, Raheem Mostert to Miami. We did a whole video on Chase Edmonds. <laughs> Hayden uh, said, "Well, just wait until they sign Raheem Mostert." Um, it broke my heart a little bit because I'm really excited to see what Chase Edmonds can do. Now that contract is a lot bigger than what Raheem Mostert got. Raheem Mostert's one of like the fastest backs in the league. I mean, his speed yeah. is, is, is on we, another level. Are we not sure he's not a better player than Chase Edmonds? I mean, like, he might be <laughs> if he's healthy. Like uh, that, that was my first thought. I was like, wow, I think the dolphins probably just found their starting back. Like we're, we're going to get to like week seven. And it's going to be like, why is Raheem Mostert getting all these carries? Oh, because he's got experience in the he's system. Amazing. And he's been, and I feel like when they've both been healthy, you, we're all in agreement that most is probably their back, right? Yeah, I, I think they're both in, in recent in recent performance. Uh, yeah, when they're both on the field. That now, reminds me, I was uh, covering the Jets, and it was the COVID first COVID season, week two, 49ers playing the Jets, mm-hmm. and. The first play of the game, there's nobody in the stands. Raheem Mostert takes the ball 80 yards <laughs> on a sweep, and there's nobody in the stands. And the funniest part was as he's running down the sideline, somebody like who's working the the crowd noise system for the Jets pressed the wrong button. So it sounded like they were cheering for him as he's running down the sideline at home. And it was that moment where I decided I was never coming back to another game until the locker rooms were open. It was like this is this is a total waste of my Sundays, but that's just a, another story. Speaking of those big plays, 2019 was absolutely incredible for Raheem Mostert. He had 19 carries that went for 15-plus yards. That was only behind Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb. There's a pretty big difference here. Raheem Mostert only had 190 carries that entire season. Derrick Henry had 386. Nick Chubb had 298. Like He truly, again, might have the most juice of any running back in the league. My main concern is what we saw last year. Like he was going to be such a focal point for the 49ers offense. Like if he stays healthy, we probably don't know of Eli Mitchell to the gr- name to the degree that we do now, but they put him in bubble wrap for the entire preseason, then trot him out there for the first two series in week one. And then he misses the remainder of the year. 
Like that's always a possibility too. But for the range of outcomes, for the money that they spent, for the you know understanding between coach, play caller, and uh, player now, it just makes total sense here. And that's a great combo. But again, what's always on top of this is Miami actually has, has to create the, the lanes and the creases for these guys to run through. And that's a big question right now too. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got distracted. There's been a producer interjection where uh, our pal Justice Mosqueda is oh, no. begging. He's begging us to talk about Zay Jones' hair. Uh, apparently, I'll find this. Okay, you you got to find it because it's pretty jarring. Like he looks like a pimp in nineteen like 1977. He's got the full perm. It's really really jarring. Before I logged onto this, I was staring at this picture for like a good uh, ten minutes. So. If you can, if you're on Twitter right now, just find Zay Jones uh, signing with the Jaguars. There's pictures of him at his press conference, and it looks like a, a really crappy movie from, uh, you know, the 1970s. I don't even know what to call this. <laughs> what is this decision? I don't know. It's making my sciences feel better. Oh, look, we got the Uncle Rico. <laughs> it very much looks like Uncle Rico. Okay. Well, on that note, why, why don't we move to wide receivers then? <laughs> Um, I would love your input here on on Russell Gage because Russell Gage stays in, in the NFC South, moves from Atlanta to Tampa Bay on a three-year, $30 million contract with $20 million guaranteed. Um, they locked up all three of their wide receivers. I mean, Chris Godwin got the same exact deal from Mike, as Mike Williams. They're rep by the same person. Give us your evaluation here of, of Russell Gage and how he fits with, without – you know, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. I think this is a lot better fit for Russell than the last year was. Uh, <laughs> because last year, you know, Coolio's gone. Calvin Ridley's gone for basically the entire season. Uh, they kind of needed Russell to wear the super, Superman cape there for a little bit. And uh, I don't think he's quite that guy. Uh, I, I do think that last year was probably the year that we saw the most growth from him as a player just because they they – someone's got to get these targets, you know, like that, that's kind of where the Falcons were last year. And it's looking like that's where they're going to be this year with the, uh, you know, Ola Zacchaeus is wide receiver one. Uh, but uh, Russell is, I, I like his fit, you know, more in the slot, which is kind of interesting when you think about uh, the money that they just gave Chris Godwin. Um, but maybe this is kind of like insurance for Chris Godwin a little bit too. Like if he gets off to uh, a slow well, he'll start, probably miss I, a, some time right, too coming off that ACL. Right. Right. So if he's going to miss some time, I think that that's probably a nice little fit for them. Uh, and if if Tom Brady can get Julio to come too, I mean, that receiving core is looking right back as loaded as it has been uh, over the past few years. But just in terms of Russell Gage, I, I like his fit as like a wide receiver two, a wide receiver three. I think last year was probably a little bit too much from him uh, in terms of what they were asking for him and what they needed him to do. Uh, but this is a good fit where he has – other guys who can actually command attention besides just, right. you know, just a Jessica Kyle Pitts or really just him. I feel like Russell Gage is, is one of those players that the more you watch, the more you like too. like his progression, even with the Falcons is pretty staggering when he was brought in as just a special teamer at LSU. Like he had what, 26 career catches or something in college. And then he moved on into getting a shit ton of wide receiver snaps. You mentioned it. 266 snaps in the slot last year, 339 on the outside. The previous year is 495 in the slot, 295 out wide. These guys are all movable pieces. Mm -hmm. This is a really sizable deal. We know how 
bad the wide receiver market and how much you had to overpay once some of the top names went back to their own teams. Uh, I love this. I mean, this again is setting up, and I know there's some offensive line pieces that are changing, but again, trading for Shaq Mason eventually is going to help Tom Brady as well deal with some of the losses they had along that offensive line. I thought Tom Brady played an MVP level last year, and they're not missing mm-hmm. anything with this group. And again, probably the main reason why they failed to reach the expectations that he set out and the team set out towards the end of the season was because the same injury luck they didn't get or they got in 2020, they didn't they didn't get this past season. Both the offensive line with Worfs and other players and also the wide receiver group. Again, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and whatever the hell happened with Antonio Brown. Yeah. And this kind of, at least on paper, solves all of that. If you're like if you're a fan of offensive line play, like that right side of Jensen, Shaq Mason, Tristan Wirfs, like they are going to run people the hell over uh next season. And, and honestly, like if you're Tom Brady, and I'm I'm guessing Tom Brady has like an, an idea that they're interested in trading for Shaq Mason before he decides to come back. Like uh you already know Shaq, you know how good he is from your time in New England. Why not come back and play in this offense? If yeah. if Chris Godwin's gonna come back. And you can convince Julio Jones to uh, potentially join you. This is one of the best offenses on paper, again, in the league. Uh, And Tom is still playing at a high enough level where where you should expect him to put up like top 10 numbers this year. I'm Uh, really interested in in what they do at the running back spot. I know some of the beat writers don't expect Leonard Fournette to come back because unless he like drastically lowers his, his asking price. Uh, it sounds like Bruce Aarons is a big fan of Keyshawn Vaughn. I didn't know those existed. And then Ronald Jones just isn't returning. So like, obviously we care if the team's going to put up a bunch of points, who's going to get the running back touches as well. Do you remember Shaq Mason coming out of Georgia tech? Like again, it was the running based offense. He probably had 50 pass pro reps during his entire career. Didn't have a NFL combine invite at all, but he was a crazy athlete and almost Mm -hmm. immediately was a a starter for the Patriots. Yeah, he was, he was good. Uh, Really? It's kind of interesting going back and seeing that he wasn't a combine invite because uh, he basically he had the profile of like day one, you're starting out with one of the better run back blocking guards in the league and hopefully the pass pro can get there. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's another win for hit on them. Just throw darts at the athletes and see what happens, because he's certainly one of them. Like if you look up his his numbers, he's an alien when it comes to that. Since you brought up Julio Jones. We haven't talked about him here. What happened with Julio in Tennessee, do you think? Um, I think he was just banged up. Uh, and the contract probably was just not worth it for the production they projected they were going to get from him. Uh, and honestly, that, <laughs> that ended up being a pretty bad trade for the, the Titans. And I was uh, devastated the day that it went through last summer. Uh, so now, uh, have, you, have you heard my conspiracy theory about the Falcons? Oh, no. I want to hear this. Uh so now that Julio Jones is released and they're in the not even in the, the market for Deshaun Watson, it's either them or the Saints uh, that are going to get this trade done. Uh, I think that if they can pull off the trade for Deshaun Watson, they're going to sign Julio back to re- to recoup on the fans that they lose by acquiring Watson. And also, that, they need a receiver. They really need a receiver too. <laughs> If if we are allowing ourselves to talk about Deshaun Watson in this moment, I there's many reasons why Will Fuller hasn't signed so far, but part of me believes that there's going to be a package deal as well, wherever Watson ends up. So I think that's a potential. And I know I think Jarvis Landry's visiting them today as well, the Falcons. So something to keep in mind. Um, my thoughts on Julio in Tennessee, and I think it was a second to fourth round pick, wasn't it, that they dealt for him? 
um, yeah. was that Mike Vrabel, every single time that he was asked in press conferences about Julio Jones, I mean, absolutely crushed the dude. Like, you could see the hatred oozing out of his body. Here, here's a clip real quick. Those are absolutely that's that's absolutely nothing that that we coach or teach. So that would fall into the category of doing dumb shit that hurts the team. Uh, right there uh, in bold letters. Wow. Yeah. If if you don't practice and then when you get on the field and you make mental errors, like you're not a Mike Vrabel guy, and Julio just probably wasn't practicing and probably hasn't for the last I don't know. Three yeah, years, dude. and then oh, when he, he got in the field, like 2015, bro. Like, right when he, when he got <laughs> in the field, and he was running the wrong routes or dropping passes or getting personal fouls. Like, I guess they recognize that. But what's weird is he actually kind of made good on it towards the end of the year. Like when it was all kind of clicking towards the end, um, and I thought like I had some optimism it could happen this year. But the Titans yeah, are I'm another sorry. one of those teams. The Titans are another one of those teams that like still need help if they want to take the next level offensively. Yeah, I'm not convinced that Julio's totally cooked. Maybe it's just no. my my fandom here, but like the last time we saw him fully ready and healthy, what that the 2020 season, the first eight games before he got hurt, like he was playing just as good as he ever had been. Uh, so I, I I I still think he's got like at least one year left in the tank. Uh, I'm interested to see like what the money looks like on whatever deal he signs this year because it's not going to be you know the 22 million dollars he signed for. Uh, last time but i think you know if i was trying to find a bargain bin starting x receiver that has some real upside for a year i think julio makes a lot of sense which is probably why it, tom brady is going after him too and it can't end this way for julio right like this is no, no. one of the best receivers of the last two decades and yeah. it can't he can't I, go out in this way in an aj green like way can't do it all-time leader in yards per game we need one more season come on have to have to okay tight end time is there anything you want to talk about here any names that stick out like the New York Jets with the combo of CJ Uzoma and, and Tyler Conklin. If you want to spin this into an entire Jets discussion, you can. Oh, I I really like what the the Jets have done. Um, and I, I think that Tyler Conklin is like the perfect number two tight end to you know your CJ Uzoma. And and those are two guys that I think can be effective without breaking the bank for them. Um we'll see what happens with CJ because I know he got hurt pretty recently. Uh yep. and he's going to have to recover from that. Forget like what the exact injury was. Uh, but I, I think for two off seasons now, the, the jets have kind of done a good job of playing like that middle market in free agency. Um, and now you just kind of need <laughs> the big draft pick to hit uh, along the way, but they're trying to help um, because when you look at the offensive line talent, like Makai Becton, uh, if he's healthy, Elijah Vera Tucker, Lake and Tomlinson. I mean, those are three guys that you can you can build around. And I think yep. if you put if you just you know put in Tomlinson on the right guard spot, that'll probably help Connor McGovern play a little bit better too uh, as center. So like the offensive line is is probably good enough to take this offense places if guys can stay healthy and stay on the field. Because I also think that people don't realize how good uh, Vera Tucker was. Like by the end of the year, like he was playing like honestly one of the best guards. Uh, in football, and if Becton can get healthy, we all know who, how good he can be. And now, you go all, even on the defensive side, and you get uh, Jordan Whitehead and DJ Reed. Like these are just quality signings that help you build out the middle of your football team. And now you have two top ten picks to 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 add on top of that. Like I, I I'm interested in this team because it seems like it really is just going to come down to 
uh, you know, Zach Wilson, and I guess the picks they make at, at four and 10 along the way, but the base of this team, uh, they should win a lot more games than last year. And I think that, you know, the fits that like the player fits that they're getting make a lot of sense. Now you have uh, CJ Zoma who played in uh, Zach Taylor's offense, which is kind of similar to what Sean McVay was running uh, yep. early on with the Rams stuff. We have Lakin Tomlinson who played for Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers. That's an easy fit to Mike McFour's offense with the Jets. They're just making a lot of moves that make sense. So, uh, you know, I, I think that this is kind of a fun team on paper. And I hope they can be a little bit more competitive than they have. Yeah, that's the optimism. Uh, I'll throw a little pessimism since it is the Jets. And maybe this is actually what happens. Hopefully not, because I'm, I'm hopeful of what the Jets can be. But it's moving, you know, Lakin Tomlinson from that left guard spot, which he probably did his best work in at left guard over to right guard, which he has also worked there too. Um, Makai Becton, whenever the national insiders talk about him and like where he's at right now, it's always like kind of cagey and shadowy. They're like, well, he's like really heavy right now. And if he puts it all together, he can be really good. Um, George Fant would then probably move over to right tackle who actually had a pretty damn good season there at at left tackle. But I'm with you. And especially this two tight end look, they were only in, 12 personnel, 20% of the time last season. That was probably because they just didn't have any talent there. That could shoot up all the way to, I don't know, 40, 45, 50%. If, you know, the 27-year-old Conklin who gave the three-year 21 million, C.J. Ozoma, who's also like a great locker room presence, which is probably part of the reason why the Jets Mm -hmm. add on to this. And then Braxton Berrios, who they bring back, who had moments in the slot too. Me too, man. And if you're two outside wide receivers and Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, who's like, a wide receiver one and a half, like he's kind of in that border, probably between turning into someone who you can build your passing offense around to now like having those really flashy moments as well. It's a, uh, I think it's an exciting time for the Jets. Like they're doing it kind yeah. of the right way, I think, in two straight off seasons. Yeah. This is nice because when I try to talk about the Jets in like my group chats, everyone's just like, shut the hell up. No one cares. But I I covered them. And, you know, for those who have followed my career, they played a pretty integral part in how I got to where I am now. So like I, I am always like tuned in and locked in on, on what they're trying to do. So I'm, 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 you know, for the first time ever, I don't think I, or hopefully I can say this. I won't mind being trapped to the New York City football market this uh fall because it can be a pretty bleak place on sundays when the only games you're getting are giants and jets games and uh there's nothing else on cable that always sucks baker has requested a trade going back to our earlier conversation just throwing that in there as well okay and that's cool that's nice we'll record we're recording alan robinson video later but he has apparently joined the los angeles rams as they are what wide receiver three all right let's keep it on moving uh, I quickly actually want to talk about Dalton Schultz just very quickly. I know he's going as like the tight end nine over on underdog right now. Um, this is someone to me who's going to be like a really key part of what the Cowboys are this year. That's pretty obvious. That's why they franchise tagged him. But he's going as the tight end nine, like after Dawson Knox. I know it's really sexy names ahead of him, like Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle. But then just looking back at, you know, the volume that he received last year, 104 targets, 808 yards and eight touchdowns. That was with splitting time between other tight ends as well and really his first year emerging. I think that's the floor for him, 100% the floor. Okay. Uh, I got distracted by the Baker stuff. My mind just started racing a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I missed uh, what play you were talking about. Nope, just there. we're good. We can just move on over to um, to offensive line. I know we just talked about a bit with the Jets. 
Um, I really like James Daniels to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He gets a three-year, $26.5 million deal. Um, he has 48 starts underneath his belt at 25 years of age. And like just looking at those two numbers, those types of interior offensive linemen or offensive linemen in general, like rarely hit the market. He's super athletic. He's part of my 20-yard short shuttle club. And like he can play center and guard. And like they are still moving around pieces and they're gonna change quite drastically offensively without Ben Roethlisberger. So I'm uh I'm hopeful that he can kind of secure one of those spots along the offensive line for them for sure. Yeah, I uh, I was interested in uh Morgan Moses of Baltimore signing. I I really like that. that move. Uh it just seemed like another smart Ravens move. You know, we're gonna we had a really bad right tackle problem, so we're just gonna plug in uh a right tackle that we can find a free agency that, you know, Morgan, honestly, the Jets off of the blind last year, like their tackle situation is pretty solid by the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, and that was due to George and and Morgan, you know, kind of put in the work, but uh, <laughs> it reminds me, I feel like a, a point of reference for a lot of things now, but I have a funny Morgan Moses story where I, this was the year that Trent Williams was uh, standing out because Washington was acting crazy with him. So I was working for SB nation at the time. And uh, I got cleared to go down to from D.C. to Richmond for a few days Mm -hmm. to cover the camp. And really, I was just doing this like get out of the house because I was bored as hell. And so I guess it's NFL training camp. Why not go visit? I'm in D.C. There's a lot of places around. So uh, I went down there and I was working on a story where basically I was just going to ask Morgan to help me break down a film of Trent Williams uh, to talk about like what they were missing. Uh, The piece turned out great. Uh, it was a great time. I got to talk with Morgan for like half an hour, but we were sitting outside after practice and they had given us two chairs to sit next to each other while we were working on like the little film stuff. And the chair I sat in broke immediately underneath my weight. Like I went straight from <laughs> the chair straight to the ground. Uh, the back flew out the chair. I was literally just on the ground with my laptop in my hand. Somehow I didn't drop it. Uh, like I was holding like the Statue of, Liber- uh, Statue of Liberty on the ground and Morgan busted out laughing at me. And I think Adrian Peterson was there too. And he started laughing at me too. So that was a nice little uh, introduction to those guys for, for my career. That was funny. Yeah. Just the 320 pound guy. He can be supported, yeah. but not. Yeah. He can time. be supported on the little, uh, the, the little plastic <laughs> chair outside, but my ass falls right through and almost impales my leg. Uh, oh. I, was, I was not happy that day. Well, one final point in his fit with the Ravens. I mean, their offensive line was decimated last year. Like they had Alejandro Villanueva coming off a pretty big injury himself playing left tackle. They had Patrick McCarry kind of working. Who's supposed to be like their swing offensive lineman playing at right tackle, maybe being their best offensive lineman at points. Uh, Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the best, you, you know, left tackles in the league when healthy missed the entire year. If you remember this, they actually signed, Jawan James after his Achilles mm-hmm. tear with the Broncos once they let him go and to a two-year deal. And I was assuming he was just going to be on the starting tackles this year. But I guess he's now going to operate as a swing tackle too. So like bringing all this yeah, in, I know Morgan Moses is 31. He started all 16 games last year. He actually hasn't missed a start in the past seven seasons. So yeah, the the money that you mentioned, three years for 15 million, maybe he just wanted to be in Baltimore, but it makes you think like why all these teams that have so many offensive line questions weren't in on that figure because he's just been extremely solid for the last seven years. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm optimistic for where Baltimore's offensive line can be this season, because I, I honestly, I, I think that it was smart of them to just shut down Ronnie Stanley when they did, because 
when he came back early in the year, it was like, okay, um, he's clearly not helping ready to go. And they just kind of nipped that in the bud real fast. So hopefully he can get back to being where he was. Cause like you said, he is one of the elite guys when, uh, when he's ready to go. And then uh, if, like, if you're in a spot where Juwan James is like your third tackle or someone like Juwan James is your third tackle, you're in a much better spot than you were this time last year uh, where basically the whole team was decimated and fell apart. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of in on the Ravens offense I, because I just find it hard to believe that they will yeah. suffer this many injuries again. It all came off the rails for them because of injury after injury after injury. Okay. Baker update our third of the show. The Browns said no to Baker Mayfield to trade him. So they are just, why we have another week of this, Charles. We have another week uh, of this. Uh, just, just <laughs> move on. We have a let's go to a headliner along the defensive line and the edge rushers. Um, hey, Von Miller moving for pretty freaking big money six years, 120 million on paper. Now it's really a 45 million fully guaranteed contract. So I think it comes down to about three years and like 57. It comes down to that, which is still huge, right? Like only five edge rushers have signed for more guaranteed money, and they were all in their 20s. Uh, I think Von Miller's like 32 at this moment. Um, I know this is like a dumb question to ask, but I think there's a lot of different ways we can go through it. Is this a good move for the Bills? Um, Yeah, I think it is. Go for it. Like you're here in this Super Bowl window, uh, Super Bowl window right now uh, because I think – when you go back and run through the playoffs, I still feel like the Chiefs and the Bills are the two best teams in the AFC, uh, even though the Bengals made it to the playoffs and uh, Bengals fans are going to cry and call me a hater, but that's fine. Uh, I, you can just go back and retweet all my bad tweets and that's how you'll own me. Uh, but I, I think when you look at the Bills, like why, why, like why can't this be the team that represents the AFC, AFC in the Super Bowl next year? Uh, and I think it's maybe a little bit discouraging for them that they have spent a lot of draft capital recently on defensive end and they still found themselves in this spot but at the same time like they didn't waste time you know waiting to see if uh basham and rousseau would turn into something they just said let's go get von miller and (laughs) if if we're gonna get into these you know classic duels with patrick mahomes and joe burrow and maybe lamar jackson in the playoffs in the coming years uh it would definitely help to have uh someone like von miller on our side and I like it. Like any move that gets them closer to, uh, you know, that title, I think it's a good move. And the Rams just showed us like, Hey, you kind of can treat some of this like Madden. Like if you can just get some of the best players in the league, that's, that's not always a bad strategy. Like I, I still would like to see them trade for, you know, a Saquon Barkley, if they can pull that off, uh, just try to get some more top end talent in there that can really change the game for you. Because I think that that's what uh, the Rams have showed us that you can do with their Super Bowl win last year. I think it also now shows that Buffalo is a free agent destination. Like remember a few years ago, well, maybe it's like a decade now. uh, They had to spend two days courting Mario Williams to sign up there. It was like all over ESPN the first two days of free agency. That might even be too old for you. Um, But in that same span of time in just the last few years, like they've really built smartly along with Josh Allen, like progressing at the exact same rate. Like again, three off seasons ago, they brought in like six middling to above average offensive linemen to fix that. They brought in middling defensive line pieces like Starler Tule, Jordan Phillips, Vernon Butler, Mario Addison. And so they 
took a huge splash in offense with Stefan Diggs two off seasons ago. And it was huge and it changed the success of their offense. Um, this is to me, that version on the defensive side of the ball. And I think it's a complete reaction in a positive way. I don't mean this in a negative way to how they lost in the playoffs in each of the last two years. Like you go back to 2020, the Kansas city chiefs put up 38 points on them. Then this past year, again, when they get knocked out, it's because their defense can't get a stop. Like this is all about getting off the field in critical, crucial third, fourth down situations. And like Von Miller is that pass rusher. And I actually thought Ed Oliver played pretty well last year. Mm-hmm. But that guy yeah. to get a sack, force a pressure, force an incompletion, tip a ball that gets you off the field in those moments that now you can believe in your offense to go and win you the game. Yeah. And, and I, I love the Ed Oliver point to me because, or because to me, he's still a guy that has, has a lot of upside to get better uh, in this league. Like I, 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 maybe it's just because I, uh, I feel like when you have a team like Buffalo in that market, the the if you have a quarterback as good as Josh Allen, that kind of becomes the whole story. But when you look at kind of how guys are performing, I think that Ed Oliver is a guy that you should be pretty excited about moving forward because he like finally towards the end of the season, maybe he doesn't ever become like that Grady Jarrett level defensive tackle that I thought he could be. But when you have <laughs> that level of athleticism, it's going to be hard for you to like actively be a bad football player, you know. So uh, yeah, when when you get Ed Oliver and Von Miller, who at his age, like is still one of the most athletic pass rushers in the yeah. NFL, which is crazy. That's a lot of juice off one edge. And, you know, when you're talking about this early into the offseason, it's March 17th. You're not you're not done adding to that defensive line yet either. So uh, I like this plan. You know, it, it's it's kind of cool because these these are the times where you can see where NFL teams are thinking, like what hurt us in the past that is still a fresh wound that we would like to fix for our next run in the future. And I think for the bills, like it's clearly very obvious. We had 13 seconds to go to the AFC championship game and who knows they could have beaten the Bengals. Like they're certainly good enough to have beaten the Bengals and be in the super bowl, but we couldn't get off the field in 13 seconds. And they had like 90 years to go. Von Miller helps with that. Yeah. It helps to bend the edge, force the quarterback to step up and, you know, Ed Oliver might clean that up or, you know, you bring in again, some other pieces to rotate Tim settle, who I know a lot of people around the Washington organization thinks if he just gets a chance, he can make plays, especially to try to earn more money in the future. And then Daquan Jones is a great run defender as well. So these are just really shrewd moves to me of like role players to take advantage of like the top talent that Von Miller is to create those, create those pressures and and disruptions. Yeah. I mean, the bills are so much fun. It's, it's amazing what Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done in like just a short amount of time. And it shows like everyone out there, like the, what they should strive to do to build. But then I also believe it probably irks Sean McDermott tremendously that it's his defense in the last two years that has let them down at the end. And maybe this is again, the big step to try to just stop that. Um, All right. Cleo Mack also went to the chargers. I didn't have this one on the list, but I feel like we need to talk about this. I mean, yeah. Leo Mack, Joey Bosa on the same line. There's another name I want to bring up here along their group too. But those are, yeah, those are at least on the edge, quote unquote, two of the most powerful dudes across the league. And now they're on the same team. Yeah, I was just thinking like how many pockets are just going to be collapsing from both edges uh, with Bosa and Mack. Uh, And you know, Mack's still a guy, he's got, he's got playing left in the tank to be an impact pass rusher. Like if you're, 
if you're at a spot, even, you know, at this point in Mac's career where Khalil Mack is your number two pass rusher, like <laughs> you're, you're doing something right. Like you, you've definitely started to acquire your talent the right way. And I think that, you know, the addition of Sebastian Joseph day, uh, it, it, it's it's going back to the, what I was just saying earlier, where you can see where teams uh, see the flaws in themselves and really try to get better at them early in the first days of free agency. And I think when you go look at the, the Chargers from last year, one of the biggest problems that they had is we just aren't physical enough, like up front. Right. It's just, it's not there. Uh, they were getting steamrolled by like every team they played against the run. And, you know, I don't know if Khalil Mack fixes the whole thing, but you can see getting guys like Khalil Mack, Sebastian Joseph, they, they have a clear message. Like we need to get tougher up front. We need to get stronger up front. And I think that those two moves definitely help you get there. Like I would be surprised if they had, you know, the worst run defense that we've seen in quite some time again. Uh, and they've made an active decision to go over and, and patch that thing up. Yeah. And Brandon Saley knows what he's all about. I mean, he coached him just a couple of years ago. Um, and so this is a player off a of pectoral injury and Sebastian Joseph's day who sure can clean up if the quarterback has to climb the pocket. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what you're saying. He's one of the best run defenders uh, in the league. I do have a few questions about Mac and Bosa. Cause I know like they both do most of their pass rushing work over top of like the right tackle and the right guard. Like, I wonder if we're going to get them lined up next to each other consistently, or if they're going to try to attack both edges and get one of them to move to the opposite side. But either way, like that's enough pass rushing yeah. issues for them to be like really, really dangerous. Yeah, I imagine they'll flip flop a good amount, uh, just just to keep both guys comfortable. And then, you know, th- the cool thing about where they are is, you know, you can put Cleo Mack at three technique and like in some in some spots because he's strong enough to go up and power rush against the guards and Bosa and too. play like the, the big man game, right? And so can Bosa. So you know, even if you're talking about like putting either one of them at three and doing games and twists and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with just those two that can absolutely wreck an offense. And I just hope that, you know, they can stay healthy because, you know, that that's that's my favorite stuff to watch. You know, the the defensive linemen just absolutely obliterating people. Uh, and it's, it's going to be fun. Like if Brandon Staley can finally get that run defense figured out and get that stabilized a little bit, I think that you'll probably see the rest of the defense take off a little bit too because that was such a big problem for the last season. And that's not even bringing up adding J.C. Jackson, who was the number one corner on many lists out there, who, you know, does a lot of man-to-man work. So it'll be interesting to see the different wrinkles that they put on there and what the responsibility they give him versus, like, the the coverage elsewhere on the defense. But uh, I'm excited to see the Chargers. We're getting sucked back in uh, already. And, like, the AFC West in general, it's Mack and Bosa. It's Crosby and Chandler Jones. It's now Randy Gregory and Bradley Chubb. And then it's, I guess, whoever the Chiefs put out there as well. But that's like a, it's a lot of juice. It's a lot of pass rushers yeah. getting after those quarterbacks. Good quarterbacks. So. Yeah, it's it that that I feel like every AFC West game is about to be must watch next year. Because because okay. this this is the fun part of the offseason where it's just a, a straight arms race where you, you can see the teams within the division, you know, competed against each other because you know. The Brown or the Broncos go get Russell Wilson. The Chiefs, oh shit! Well, we got to go get a Justin Reed. Oh well, the Raiders say we got to get Chandler Jones, and the Chargers say we got to get Cleo Mack. Like it's it's just it's a lot of fun to watch the the, the competition in the offseason, I think. Let's close out with the uh, back seven. I'm lumping them all here together. I actually want to bring up the name that you said and Justin Reed. Obviously, they chose him over pursuing Tyron Matthew in returning. We know that Matthew is you know 
getting towards the end of his career, even though he's probably going to get another big deal now versus Justin Reed, who's only going to be 25 years old at the start of the season. It's a three year, $31.5 million deal. I mean, it's pretty amazing he can earn that type of money after playing for the freaking Houston Texans and that the Texans didn't try to really build around him or keep him. But this is a guy that whenever I watched them, I was impressed. He could fly around the field. He could fill gaps up front. And then he could also play either safety spot in back half. Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 uh, I, I want to go back to the jets here real quick. Go ahead. For the, the back seven discussion. Uh, Cause I think that that Jordan Whitehead move was really savvy. I, I, I don't know if this is just like, Exposure from me being a fan of a team in the NFC South and watching a lot of that football recently, but uh, he's been one of like my favorite safeties to watch over the past few years, just because I don't know. It's that style of football that I really like. It's violent. It's downhill. And it's just, when you look at some of the, the, at least what the plan is for the Jets defense to look like, where you have all these one gap penetrators, Sheldon Rankins, Quinn Williams, Carl Lawson. uh, And really when you look at Robert Saleh's scheme, it's just to cut those guys loose, get up the field. And then you got CJ Mosley in the back end with being a veteran, cleaning some stuff up that uh, the disruption causes. But now you got the hammer in Jordan Whitehead. And it's just kind of fun to think like stylistically, like this is what Robert Saleh wanted his defense to look like. Uh, you got all these athletic guys up front. You can add another one at the top of the draft with your fourth or your 10th pick. Uh, and then you have a big safety in the back, cleaning it up. So I, uh, you know, that was that was a move that I really liked. And honestly, I was kind of surprised that the, he said that the Bucks didn't give him a, a contract extension uh, or contract offered back. But, you know, I guess they're kind of maxed out right now. So that makes sense. I know they just signed DJ Reed. After that, the cornerback uh, room was a bit dicey to me. But I also feel like you could have said that about Robert Sala's time in the 49ers. You know, it, it seems like they can find players to fit there and they kind of churn the waters uh, at, at the cornerback position. Um, I also want to bring up Miles Jack. Old personal favorite, Miles Jack. Two years, $16 oh, yeah. million dollars with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a throwback uh, only, name. <laughs> throwback. He's only 27, and he's certainly off a down year with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But again, I will say, who didn't have one of those with Jacksonville last year? Uh, now he gets to play behind a Steelers defensive front loaded with Cam Hayward, Stephon Tuitt, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith. Keep throwing names at you. Brian Flores is his position coach now. And he's going to have to teach Devin Bush how to play linebacker. So there's a lot on uh, Miles Jack's plate here this season. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in this signing because I feel like when you look back at Miles's career with the Jaguars, it's been pretty clear, like, okay, when he's tasked with literally being, like, the operator of the whole defense, it doesn't always go up for him. But when they take that green dot off and put it on someone else, that's kind of when he's had his best time. And... I was like, hmm, like I, I like the idea of obviously like Brian, Brian, guys like Brian Flores uh, and Mike Tomlin getting their hands on someone as good as Miles Jack. But, you know, if this becomes a situation where he has to kind of coordinate the whole defense again, that might not work. But also, you know, they have guys like Minka Fitzpatrick back there who can help out with that. So uh, I, I, I think that just on a talent basis, this is a pretty good move. And it just reminds me back uh, – when I was working on a, our pal Eric Galco, I was working on his draft oh, yeah. a, a long time ago, and I had Miles Jack. I think it's the number one player in the class that year. And yeah, Charles he was he was good. He was he's had some really good his moments. Time at honestly, UCLA, he he just moved differently than everyone else. You yeah, know? and honestly, I think the Jaguars got worse at linebacker going from Jack to Foyer. And you know, I'm happy that Foyer got his money, but 
I, I don't think that that was a move in the right direction for them. We'll see. And I could be totally wrong, but part of me thinks that Minka is the one who wears the green dot in Pittsburgh. I, I might be totally off on that. I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly, but um, it's, I'm excited to see what, because Brian Flores has a lot of work to do as a position coach, and we're going to see his impact here. Like again, Devin Bush is this athlete, but it feels like he goes in the opposite direction, like way too often. But it's also interesting when you consider what the Steelers were just three or four years ago, the linebacker spot, they were among the slowest in the league at that position. And like when you have slow linebackers, you have a slow defense and now they're just two tremendous athletes. So maybe they can, uh, they can take the next step there because again, that's going to be a defensive focused team. So, all right. Yep. For you Steelers fans, we have a whole video on Mitch Trubisky, why we believe famous last words, 2022 Trubisky is better than. Don't put me in there. I, didn't, I, I was not a part of that video. <laughs> me, me and Hayden. 2022 Trubisky might be actually better than 2021 Ben Roethlisberger. All right, Charles. Sorry actually, I'll put my name on that take. I'll put there my name on that take. All right. There you go. Well, we'll have plenty more takes with Charles McDonald. He has an upcoming podcast. Not, not today. Look out for that. Not today. No, you are done for the day unless some other major news happens. All right. Yeah. Before yeah, you all get out of here. So. Yeah, that's so. what I said. Okay. The exemplist. At some my, point, my, we, my, brain, my brain is frazzled. We, uh, we, we can reveal the name. There will be a trailer, a way for you to subscribe in the very near future. There's some to-do list items for Charles to knock off before we get to that point. But I'm excited. I'm excited for you to, to have your own program here. You don't have to talk to me as often. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm really excited for that Pacific Park, too. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think uh, we're going to get started on uh, you know putting this thing together probably this weekend. So uh, Sweet. It, I, I'm, I'm telling people now, like the first episode of this will probably be like un, anything you've ever heard in this sphere of football media. So just get ready for that. Lots of voices in your head. All right. Yes. For Charles McDonald, <laughs> I am Josh Norris. Be sure before you get out of here, smash like, smash subscribe. We're still on the road to 10,000 subs. All right. Charles, get your friends in here to like, you know, hit that button for us every once in a while. I will. I'll believe it. Do me a favor. All right. Okay. You all have a great time, great weekend, and be sure to check out all the videos on the channel. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>